Our scripture reading this afternoon is from 1 Peter 4, the first half or so of 1 Peter 4. Beginning at verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Well, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. And therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have a confessional reading this afternoon, and that is from the Belgian Confession, Article 37. That's found on page 870 in the Trinity Psalter Hymnal. And we won't be covering uh, everything that's in here. We'll be talking about the fact of the last judgment and what that means for us. But here's what we confess together about the last judgment. Finally, we believe, according to God's word, that when the time appointed by the Lord has come, which is unknown to all creatures, and the number of the, of the elect is complete, our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven bodily and visibly as he ascended with great glory and majesty to declare himself the judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. And then all human creatures will appear in person before that great judge. Men, women, and children who have lived from the beginning until the end of the world. They will be summoned there by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the divine trumpet. And for all those who died before that time will be raised from the earth, their spirits being joined and united with their own bodies in which they lived. And as for those who are still alive, they will not die like the others, but will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from corruptible to incorruptible. And then the books, that is the consciences, will be opened and the dead will be judged according to the things they did in the world 
whether good or evil. Indeed, all people will give account of all the idle words they've spoken, which the world, world regards as only playing games. And then the secrets and hypocrisies of men will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. And therefore, with good reason, the thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful to wicked and evil people, but it is very pleasant and a great comfort to the righteous and elect, since their total redemption will then be accomplished. They will then receive the fruits of their labor and of the trouble they have suffered. Their innocence will be openly recognized by all, and they will see the terrible vengeance that God will bring on the evil ones who tyrannized, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. The evil ones <clears throat> will be convicted by the witness of their own consciences and shall be made immortal, but only to be tormented in the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In contrast, the faithful and elect will be crowned with glory and honor. The Son of God will confess their names before God his Father and the holy and elect angels. All tears will be wiped from their eyes and their cause at present condemned as heretical and evil by many judges and civil officers, will be acknowledged as the cause of the Son of God. And as a gracious reward, the Lord will make them possess a glory such as the heart of man could never imagine. And so we look forward to that great day with longing in order to enjoy fully the promises of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to reread our, our text, verses 7 through 11, 1 Peter 4. But the end of all things is at hand. And therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, congregation beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think we all know that life has its phases. Things begin and things end. Our boys and girls who are in school, they know this. The school day begins, but it also ends. And for some of us, that's a very happy time when the school day ends. Or the school weekends or the school term ends. Christmas vacation comes and sometimes we're very happy then. But sadly, our playtime ends and our vacation time ends as well. And there's even worse news for the kids here. Childhood ends. It's a fairly carefree time. You might not think so, but childhood ends. Sometimes for the singles, singleness will end and you get married. And I like to make a joke that when we have children, then adequate sleep and free time will end. So, but there is a beginning. There's an ending to things in life. There's a cycle as if things will end. Days, weeks, and years, they tick along. It's like hands on the clock of our life. But in a single moment, 
there will be an end. Everything that can end will end at once. School will end. Childhood will end. Parenthood will end. Marriage will end. Everything that can end will end at once. God says, the end of all things is at hand. It is near. Well, there's a very physical aspect to the end of all things. In 2 Peter, the following book, Peter says that the heavens being on fire will pass away with a great noise, and on earth the elements will melt with a fervent heat. The earth and all the works in it will be burned up. So it's a very dramatic sense of the end. That day will be the day of God, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day of the revelation of Jesus Christ who will bring grace to those who love his will and who will call to account those who do not. This is what verse 5 says. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And this is what leads us into our text in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. That means judgment is coming soon. Everything will stop so judgment can happen. That's the end of this age. Now, as the end approaches, we're told in Scripture, there's another dimension. It's not just everything burning up. There's another dimension as things approach. We're told that in the last days, there will be plenty of evil. Men will be lovers of themselves. They will sear their consciences. They will grow worse and worse. There will be dangers on every side. There are real dangers, real evils, but these too have an end. The end of all things, the day of judgment, is important for the godly. When they live righteously in a time of great evil, they are often going to suffer, and that's what's presupposed here in this book. Attention's drawn to it over and over. First Peter's all about this, verse 1 of our passage in chapter 4. Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. Immediately after our text in verse 12, don't think it's strange about the fiery trial that awaits you. The book opens with this, the trial of your faith. The book closes with an expectation of suffering. The whole book, every chapter is talking about mistreatment for Christ's sake. The day of judgment is important for the godly because it is the hope of the godly. It will be their deliverance from suffering. In that day, Christ is going to put down evil power and he's going to exalt the godly who have been put down in this life. There is a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Chapter 1, verse 5. The Lord will bring grace to those at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 13. So the idea of the end of all things brings with it, in context here, the end of persecution, the end of evil influences, the end 
of suffering for Christ's sake. And when you know that that end is coming, you don't need to worry if you suffer for the Lord's sake, because that will end. You don't need to worry about whether justice will be done. You commit yourself to the faithful judge. He will take care of it in the end. You can focus on the important things. Well, these important things, that is what our passage is about today. How do we live in light of the end of all things? How do we bring in the end? As we await the end, how do we live? live? And so we're going to look at three points, which are pray, love, and serve. Pray, love, and serve. We begin with prayer. Prayer is often a weak point for God's people. You remember the story of Jesus, his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he asked them to pray, and they fell asleep. What did Jesus say? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And that is good guidance, not only for the end of Jesus' earthly life, but it's good guidance for the end of all things, for the end of this age. Jesus spoke about that end in Luke 21, Verse 36, he says, Watch and pray always that you may have the strength to escape the things that are going to come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And Jesus was again referring to temptation, a different kind of temptation, but the danger of weighing your hearts down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the cares of this life so that that day comes on you like a trap. He says, take care. That's precisely our context as well. Here in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verse 2 and 3, there's a need to avoid the excesses of living for fleshly passions in the way of wild partying and drunkenness and pursuing the thrills of the flesh. At first, these things may make you seem to feel better or feel more alive, but what is really going on, they are weighing down your heart. So to put you to sleep and make you forget about the coming judgment. And so you need to pray. Because the strength to escape temptation and to stand before the Son of Man is not a strength that comes from within. It's a strength that comes from God by his Holy Spirit. And it's urgent to pray. The end of all things is at hand. And that means it's soon. If it was soon when Peter wrote the letter, it's certainly soon now. The Lord's allowed some time to go by so more can come to salvation, but when his number is full, the end will come. Jesus said, watch, because you don't know what hour your Lord comes. Watch lest he find you sleeping. So this is a great warning and one that brings us down from lighthearted flights of fancy back to earth. What's the first order here in our text? Verse 7, therefore be serious. And I'm going to develop this word serious. It used to be translated having a sound mind and it can be translated some different ways. But 
it means being able to process information well so you have the right understanding of what's going on you take that information into account you give the things that are the most important the greatest weight those sorts of things and the mind when it is healthy doesn't leave the body to do what it wants but it gives guidance to the body so just an everyday example when the stove has been in use the mind knows that is hot and don't touch it and of course you stay away from the stove that is the sound mind the serious mind the one that uses information to make the right decisions and what is the information here the end of all things is at hand that is the information and the sound mind says this is of high importance I need to factor this into my plans into my evaluations into everything I do my decisions and so the sound mind needs to say no to the things that will weigh down his heart and lead him to forget and he needs to pray for strength to do that the sound mind recognizes more as well he's been born again by God he's been given a calling in this life he can face it without fear because with his sound mind he recognizes when Christ returns on the throne of glory there will be an end of suffering so that's the first word is the sound mind the serious mind the second one in our text is to be watchful and this is literally to be sober as in sober from alcohol that's the word and it's used in a spiritual application but we can learn something from its original meaning someone who is not sober someone who is drunk how does it go with him he does not sense things properly he can injure himself and hardly feel it there are stories of the drunk people who have gone to sleep in the snow even when there's shelter nearby because he doesn't realize they didn't realize they were in danger so the normal functions that protect his body are no longer working because he's not sober he's not alert to his surroundings to his sensory inputs aren't working properly well our passage speaks about this alertness and it's especially speaking about in the spiritual sense a sober person or here a watchful person is the word a sober person um, spiritual events have an effect on him he's not dull to them so when there's evil in front of him he wants to be away from it or con on the con on the contrary when there is devotion to Christ he senses that and he's attracted to it so he's aware of the forces at work in this world he's sensing the forces at work in this world how they are vying for the souls of men and women and children and because he's not like the drunk man asleep in the snow he recognizes the dangers and so he can take action to protect himself and to protect others so here are two words here in verse 7 be serious and be watchful the first one be serious that means the sound mind the understanding mind understanding the future 
The end of all things is future. Keep that in mind. The other, this watchfulness is to be sober, to be alert, is recognizing things are happening now. What is happening now? What are the influences now? So there's an understanding of what is happening now in the light of the future. These are the two sides here that are being spoken of. And this is the connection with prayer. There's a spiritual battle going on and the strength of the Lord is needed for that battle. Now we should notice our text does not tell us to pray. It is assuming that we pray. But your prayers will be informed. They will be fueled by the right things when you have a mindset seriously thinking about the end and an alertness to the threats that are all around you as you wait for the Lord's return. And this is not just for yourself, but also you're sensitive to what is going on with your brothers and sisters in the church around you. The church needs to be upheld by the Lord. There's not a person in the church free from that. And there's no aspect of the church, whether it's her purity or her worship or her witness, that is free from that. So don't just pray. This is going a step further. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. That means fuel your prayers with the sound mind about the future and the alert spirit about the present as we await the Lord's return. Well, we move now into point number two, which is love. And we'll give a bit of backdrop first. The work of the Lord is not just to save individuals, but to form them into a unified whole in the church. Using some examples from 1 Peter, if you turn a page back on chapter 2, verse 5, there's this spiritual house. And there are living stones connected together into this one house. And likewise, verse 9 of chapter 2, there's this royal priesthood. That's not what you call a random assortment of people. A royal priesthood, these are all together with the same fundamental purpose and calling. They have so much to agree upon. And there are other words there, singular words, describing the people of God as a whole. Their holy nation, the royal priesthood, the uh, people for God's possession, the chosen generation. Well, if this is all true, that God's people are so united together, it's not only important to pray that their hearts will remain steadfast and free in the Lord, but also you will have a personal interest in them to know how it is that they are under attack, how it is that they need the Lord's help, and how the Lord hears their prayers. These are important people to you. They should be. These are the excellent ones of the earth. Ones of whom the world is not worthy are your fellow members of the church. You need to be very interested in their lives. We are sometimes follow the life of celebrities. Well, how much more? Those on whom God has set his hand. 
You see, there are some in the church we naturally love more. We share their opinions. They always agree with us. They've never hurt us. They never sinned against us, at least in any way that matters to us. They don't fail to meet our expectations. Of course we love them. They don't take a lot of effort to love. What does our passage say? Reserve our expression of love to those who have not sinned against us? No. It says, love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Well, let's think about that. The reason we belong to the Lord is that his love has covered our sin. Psalm 32, 1, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. God does not ignore our sin, but when we confess our transgression to the Lord, he forgives the iniquity of our sin. This is how he covers our sin. It's with his love expressed in the death of Christ on the cross. Well, if those whose sins are covered, this is the church, if those whose sins are covered are so loved by God, we also ought to love them. Shouldn't we? And that love is presupposed again in this verse. It says to love to have fervent love. And you could say that there's an, an uh, understanding that we're already loving, but have that love with fervency. Have it in a fervent way, an intense way, an earnest way, reaching out to them. Our brothers and sisters in the church are born again by God. They're being reshaped in the image of God over time. And it's a process of God that is wonderful to behold. A process he is working in us. It is not complete in them. They have rough edges as we do. But if we delight in the works of God, then we want to get to know the work that God is doing in their lives. Verse 10 calls us then, verse 9, to be hospitable to each other. And that word comes from actually two words, a love of strangers. Originally, it had to do with taking in strangers. Here, it is internal to the church. And the idea is that we do not have strangers in the church. There are not strangers to our love in the church. That this is what we work towards. Showing hospitality is showing love to them. Traditionally, that's by having someone in for a meal or for a time together. We bring them into our lives and we can enter into theirs. We can understand the struggles they face. We can understand uh, the victories that they're celebrating. And we learn how we can help them. We learn maybe how they can help us. We might have to counsel them. They might have to counsel us. We can encourage each other during good times. We can encourage each other during bad times. Maybe we can pray with each other for each other. 
Well, what is involved in hospitality? We want to honor our guests, and sometimes that means having everything just right. What if you can't get everything just right? What if you don't have the perfect table setting? Can you still have people over? And of course you can. You honor your guests by honoring the work of God in them, by showing love to them, by sharing them with them what you have, by sharing your life in the Lord together with them and having fellowship together. That way, you reflect and demonstrate the love of Christ, much more than saying, I can't have anyone over because I've broken a plate. Again, the church is a chosen generation. The royal priesthood, it's a holy nation. This is what God is calling you, this whole body of people here. You can look across the church, you can pick anyone, and you can say, here is an object of the mercy of God. Here is someone whom Christ wants to encourage as the end of all things draws near. Let me be an agent of Christ. Let me encourage him as that time draws near. Because it really is an honor to provide that encouragement of Christ, but also to see the work of Christ that he does. The people are a spiritual house. It is uh, amazing that we belong to it, that we belong to each other. So don't just love, love fervently. So we've come from don't just pray, pray with understanding and alertness. Don't just love, love fervently. And now, serve. Those whom we love, we want to help. And again, this is why we need to pray, because the gifting to help is a gifting of the Holy Spirit again. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Some giftings of the Spirit are common in all people. We have to love God, love each other. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But God works uniquely in each person. This is why it's a manifold uh, grace of God. There are unique gifts that God gives to each one of us so that when there is a need, we may be able to step in and fulfill that need where maybe not everybody else could. Our text points out two key ways of gifting here, with the word and with practical service. Verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. The oracles of God, that's a, that's a unique term that refers to God's uh, direct revelation. In Acts 7.38, Moses received the living oracles on Mount Sinai and he delivered them to the people. Well, this is what, uh, what it's referring to. And this has led interpreters to understand this verse is referring in particular to the gifting of pastors and elders. They have a calling to handle the word of God. 
They have a calling to use it, whether it's in teaching or in ruling with the word. They have a calling to not have their own opinion, but to express the opinion of the word of God. They are to speak according to the inspired scriptures. Now understand, there is uh, the word serving, ministering in verse 10. This ministry of the word is a service to each other. In chapter 5, it talks in the first three verses about the elders, and in verse 3, the elders are to shepherd, not domineering. It's a service. They're being examples to the flock. They want to encourage the flock on the path to eternal life. As that day, the end of all things, draws near, the elders want you ready for that day. And as the elders minister, you need to understand their work. They're not there to make life difficult for you. They're there to keep you focused in the correct direction. And they are serving for that purpose. But the ministry of the word, formally, there is the pastor and the elders, but there's also an extension to every member of the church because every member of the church is to have a taste for the word of God. Back in chapter 2, verse 2, to desire the sincere milk of the word that makes you grow. What is that word? Is that vague things? You go back a few verses. This is the word by which we're born again. It is the word that lives and abides forever. It is the inspired word of God. Every member is to have a taste for that word of God. And as that word has made you a new creature, and as you grow up through that word, you are what you eat, you could say, you're going to speak that word as well. You will be guided by what that word says in what you say. So when you know the Lord wants to encourage his people on the path to that day, to that end of all things, then our conversation with each other will remind each other the end of all things is at hand. Make the right decisions. Think about this the right way. There's a ministry for each one of us. In the wisdom of the Spirit, he uses each of us to remind each other of the coming judgment, to build each other up so there will be no lack at all in the body. So if anyone speaks, again, he's not saying, it's saying how to do it. Let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, this is the other part here, practical ministry of the sort that the deacons might do. But again, we can see an extension to every member of the church. Whoever serves or whoever ministers, let him do it as with the ability that God supplies. This is also for each one of us. When we have a unified view of the body, we want to use what we have for the good of the body. So there will be no lack in the body. We want to do things for the advantage of the body, supplying what is necessary in a time of need. So whatever is done in the way of practical ministry, 
is also to be intensely loving. It is service as well, done to strengthen others in whatever way they are weak. And what's the purpose? As the end approaches, that the body would be equipped to face whatever is coming, whatever the challenges are. So Christ, by his spirit, is at work. And it's because it's by his spirit, we need to pray. His spirit is working to prepare us for whatever we may face. Maybe not much today, maybe more tomorrow. He enables us to support each other. He calls us to support each other in practical ways, as well as with the encouragement of scripture. So what do we see? We are active, but why are we active? Because the Lord by his spirit is at work in us, motivating us to show the love of Christ to each other. Why does the church stand? Is it because of what I did ultimately, or what you did, or what the sum of all of us have done? Is this why the church stands? Well, it is the working of Jesus Christ by his spirit as he provides for the church. He uses human means to provide for the church. He uses that privilege, that privilege of serving him to serve each other. Well, he's building the church by his grace then. It is not because of what we do. It's what he is doing through us. So we need to look to his grace. We need to ask for his grace. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us. We need to be looking to the Lord as the end of all things is at hand. What happens without the presence of his spirit? What happens if we are separated from Christ? As he says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Without the spirit, we fall. There's a real danger. And we need to apprehend the danger. We need to pray for strength to overcome the danger of Matthew 24, as Jesus said, in thinking that his return is delayed and in not treating the members of his household with the service that they need to have. Jesus, in fact, says at the judgment, that person's portion is with the hypocrites. He says, cut him up and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. He says instead, blessed is that one who knows his master is returning. In the terms of our text, blessed is the one who remembers the end of all things is at hand, who remembers that the Lord's returning. He looks forward with joy to his return because he has been faithful. He looks forward to that return with longing. Blessed is he. And what's he doing? He's serving Christ's household. So for now, we'll go to bed tonight and we expect to wake up tomorrow.
We expect to start work, we expect to end work, start school, end school. We expect to do these things in life, but we know there's an end of all things. The end of all things is at hand. How are you going to bring in the end? Here's the question. Don't just pray. Don't just love. Don't just serve. Our text calls us pray with awareness, with a sound mind, knowledge of the end, love with fervency, serve with diligence. Pray, love, serve. It's a simple recipe, only three things. The end of all things is at hand. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we understand from your word that there is an end of all things and that the end is near. And we need to be prepared for that end. And it's sobering for us to hear this again because often the end is not in our thoughts. The greatness of the return of Jesus Christ, how every eye will see him and as lightning flashes from one end of heaven to the other, every eye will look upon him. These things are sometimes not even in our mind. We thank you for the reminder of your word, the correction of your word, which is profitable for correction and instruction and in righteousness. We do pray that you would fill us with your spirit. We do pray that you would keep us vitally connected to Jesus Christ, in whom we have our life. Use us for each other. Help our understanding of the future to be um, more aware of it. Help us to be alert to the things that are happening in the present that we may pray for the right things and not ask amiss as some have done, but that we would pray for the right things. Help us to pray uh, as we ought to pray, that we may escape the things that are coming to pass, that we may have strength to stand before the Son of Man, that we, we may be counted faithful in that day, that the Lord may return and say, good and faithful servant to us. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to love each other. Help us to understand your love for us and how although we are still works in progress, you love us in such a way that our sins can be forgiven and that we also can love each other on that account. Help us to be able to express that love and to learn how to express that love. Sometimes it's more awkward for some of us and sometimes it comes more naturally. We may have been taught from the time we were young how to do this or we may be new to it. We pray that you would help us to express our love to each other and to receive love from each other. Take away our pride so that these stumbling blocks are not there. We pray that you'd help us also in our service. Give your blessing on the elders and on the deacons in 
their important work in the church. Let them do it humbly as your servants who are acting for the good of the, the, good of the flock and for your glory. Let them be able to focus on those things. But let us also, as, uh, as the people who enjoy the benefit of their ministry, let us also receive their ministry with grace and learn from it. And learn from their example. Learn from the example especially of Christ who has gone before us, who uh, cared for his neighbor in body and in soul. Lord, make us this way. And especially that we would bless each other in the church and strengthen each other as that day approaches, the end of all things, that great day of judgment, which we would be afraid to face if it were not that Jesus, for the fact that Jesus gave himself for us so that we could stand in that day. Well, give us grace to hold fast to Christ, to follow in the path you've given to us,